I was 20 years old. It was the summer before my senior year in college. And I was headed back up to summer camp. Now, this was the same summer camp that I'd been to throughout my childhood, but this time it was a little different. This time, I was calling the shots. This time, I was the counselor. I was big man on campus. So we made our way northeast from my hometown into the mountains just outside of Yosemite National Park, arriving at Sugar Pine Christian Camps. Now, this wasn't like the camps of today with all their bells and whistles. Sugar Pine had a lake, a rope swing, and a snack bar. That's it. And the first full day there, I realized that these high school boys that I was in charge of, they didn't know about the coolest part of the camp, which technically wasn't at the camp, but we'll get to that. It wasn't the pond, it wasn't the rope swing, it wasn't the snack bar, despite how good the nachos were. It was a tiny little swimming hole about a mile away. That first half mile was an easy walk. It was on a paved road. The second half mile was a little bit different. It was narrow. It was a rocky path. It required a single file line. But at the end of this half mile was a swimming hole. And it had an epic cliff on one end from which you could jump into the water below. For years, I'd hiked to this little swimming hole with my friends. But these high school boys had never heard of it. So after lunch, at free time, Monday afternoon, we started walking. That first mi half mile, no problem. The second half mile was a little different. Single file, dusty, dirty, difficult. And when we got to this little swimming hole, the water felt great. There was only one problem. There was enough water to swim, maybe waist high, but jumping from the 12 foot rocks above, <laughs> not so much. But we found out it's okay if you just bend your knees a little bit. No problem at all. Some of you who are paying attention to the scripture reading know where this story is going. <laughs> Everyone did that. We'd jump off the rocks, we'd bend our knees, we'd land in the water, everything was fine. Until camp counselor, big man on campus, jumped into the water from 12 feet up kept my left leg bent and my right leg straight. You could call me foolish. You could call me a failure, which my parents did for good reason. What were you doing? What were you thinking? Taking high school boys out into the woods and encouraging them to jump from a cliff into waist-high water. The first doctor took x-rays, this is true, took x-rays and told me it was a sprain and that I should try to walk on it as much as I was able. <laughs> yeah, uh-huh, a sprain. That didn't seem quite right. So we went down the mountain to Fresno where I learned that Fres, yes, I had shattered my shin into four pieces. The doctor said my heel went into my tibia like an ax split a piece of wood. Four pieces. So big man on campus returned to his senior year at college in a cast. And to this day, I stand here before you, my shin being held together by a metal plate and six screws. Sadly, it does not go off in metal detectors, though I can tell you when a storm is coming. 
Now, I don't tell you that story for the end of the story. In fact, I tell you that story for the middle, because the meaning of the story is in the middle, as is so often in life. There we were at the swimming hole, at the end of that dusty and dirty and difficult single-file trail, far from anyone who could help, far from any car that could retrieve my broken body. And so, one by one, these high school boys took turns carrying me. Camp counselor, senior in college, big man on campus with a sprained ankle. Perhaps you too have a story of being carried. Maybe it was not because you were foolish or a failure for jumping into waist high water from 12 feet above, but maybe you'd done something else really silly. Maybe you'd done something even rather stupid. Maybe it was something you said. Maybe it was something you did. And instead of receiving criticism, you were carried. Or maybe it was this. Maybe it was when a job was lost, or a relationship ended, or a tragedy occurred, and instead of being questioned, you were carried. I bet we all have stories like that. And I bet we could easily recall what it was like for us if we were criticized, if we were questioned, or we were carried. Each of those responses will make a memory that we won't soon forget. If we were criticized or we were questioned, I'll bet we remember the names, don't we? If we were carried, I guarantee you remember the names. The heavy lifters were uh, Adam and Garrett. Um, Adam Krager and Garrett Schaefer, they were, they were football players, and they were up to the task of carrying me. The other two guys didn't try so much. They'll never forget being carried out that single file trail. See, it's easy to criticize. It's easy to question. It is difficult to carry. But like Christ, we are called to carry one another. Paul writes this to the church in Galatia. He says, Brothers, if someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore him gently. But watch yourself, or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. So, each one should test his own actions. Then he can take pride in himself without comparing himself to somebody else. For each one should carry his own load. Now, if you're paying attention, if you're following along, you might see a juxtaposition there that you have some questions about. Wait a second. Paul says we have to carry each other's burdens, but then he tells us two verses later, everyone should carry their own load. What's the deal, Paul? Make up your mind here. Now, these are two very similar concepts, but different words are used. The latter thing that Paul mentions is a minor thing. It's a small weight. It's like a backpack with a lunch pail in it. Not even any books or binders. That's the latter thing. That's, that's what it means to carry your own load. But the former thing that he mentions is the big stuff. The heavy stuff. The little stuff's all for you. The big stuff is what we carry for one another. He continues, anyone who receives instruction in the word must share all good things with his instructor. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. 
A man reaps what he sows. The one who sows to please his sinful nature from that nature will reap destruction. The one who sows to please the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially those who belong to the family of believers. Paul envisions sin as a a kind of trap that someone is surprised by. Um, It's like the quicksand in all those kids' cartoons. Remember those? See, I thought quicksand was going to be a much larger problem as an adult. I thought there was going to be quicksand everywhere, and you had to dodge it. You know, like, don't take the 605. Got a little quicksand issue today. (laughs) Paul almost insinuates, though, that there's a high probability that members of the church will sin. He says, listen, guys, quicksand is everywhere. Sin is not a hypothetical possibility It is a reality. We aren't alerted here to any particular kind of sin, any particular kind of or pattern of behavior. But most likely, Paul is thinking back just a few verses to those listed that we looked at last week. He calls them the acts of the flesh. Remember that Greek word, sarks? Um, He says, you know, sexual morality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, hatred, jealousy, fits of rage. Selfish ambition, dissensions, and drunkenness. Paul seems to infer that it's possible for someone to be a Christian and still miss the mark. Newsflash. Paul says you can give your life to Jesus and still fall in some quicksand from time to time. I wonder if this is where Martin Luther got that idea that we should sin boldly. These are bold sins, aren't they? These are quicksand that we don't want to fall into. But I find these verses just fascinating. Because throughout these chapters of Galatians, Paul has been warning time after time about the dangers of legalism in the church, of following all the rules and regulations of religion in order to earn our place in the family of God, right? But now he looks at it from the other angle. He's not concerned about legalism in these verses. He's worried about lawlessness. He's worried about licentiousness. He's worried about doing whatever you want. He's not worried about religion. He's worried about irreligion. The early church father, Tertullian, once put it this way. He said, just as Jesus was crucified between two errors. I think we've got it on the screen. No, we don't. Okay. Just as Jesus was crucified between the two thieves, so the gospel is ever crucified between these two errors. Hear that again. It's my mistake. It's not there. Just as Jesus was crucified between two thieves, so the gospel is crucified between these two errors. What are the two errors Tertullian's thinking about? Religion and irreligion. Legalism and lawlessness. See, religion says we have to live a good, holy life in order to be saved. Irreligion says, well, because you're saved, you don't have to live a good holy life. You can do whatever you want. It's religion or irreligion, legalism or lawlessness. Paul has been engaging the first, but now he turns his attention to the second. What do we do if someone were to sin in the church? What do we do when someone does something they shouldn't? 
When someone says something they shouldn't. When someone acts how they shouldn't. And what does he say? Well, you should shame them, if at all possible. No. Well, you should maybe just not talk to them for a little while. No. You should tell them how wrong they are, so that they know how sinful they've been. Not that either. What does he say? Paul says, when someone's caught in the quicksand of sin, you who are spiritual should restore them. That word restore is the same one uh, used for when Jesus would, would mend their nets. Have you, ever, have you ever tied together nets before? It's very delicate, very gentle work. That word restore is the same one used for when a doctor would reset a bone. And if you've ever been like me with a broken bone or four, you know that you'd like to have it done gently. Paul says, by the way, there's quicksand everywhere. You're going to need to become experts at restoring. You're going to need to become experts at resetting and doing it really gently. You'd rather not walk on a broken bone for a while because you've been told it's a sprain. You'd like to have it reset and reset quickly. I wonder if Paul ever heard that story from Mark 2 that Don read for us a few moments ago. Maybe he'd heard it, maybe not. It sounds like he has. Jesus is surrounded in the house. People are clamoring all around him. A group of men come. They're carrying their friend who is paralyzed. But when the door is blocked, they go up on the roof and they break the roof. My favorite part of the story. They take off the tiles. They lower him in right before Jesus. And what does the text say? Does the text say that when Jesus looked down and saw this broken man's faith, he healed him? No. No, the opposite. No, Jesus looked up and saw their faith. And it was their faith that causes him to look back down and to declare, friend, your sins are forgiven. I think it would be a fair question to say, Jesus, how does that work? (laughs) These four guys pick up their friend, they break your roof, they lower him down, and he's forgiven for what they did. How exactly does that work in the economy of salvation? There's no question about whether this man had been foolish. There's no question about whether this man was a failure. Does Jesus even look at him at all? No, he looks at at his friends. Salvation comes to that man like healing came to me. Why? Because others carried the one in need. And I stand here today because they did. Most of the time when we think of carrying someone's burden, we think of carrying them through difficult times of pain and grief, like that poem perhaps we've seen before, right? Um, there's, there's footprints in the sand. And in the most difficult times of life, there's only one footprint in the sand, right? And, and we ask Jesus, where were you in the toughest times? And Jesus says, I was carrying you, right? We've seen that. See, in these verses, God is calling his church to be like Jesus. God is calling us to be the place where we carry the effects of sin, the effects of shame, the brokenness that we experience, and we're to do that for one another. I'm not sure what your experience of sin in the church has been like, but my experience of the church has been slightly different. That when somebody is foolish, 
or somebody is a failure, when somebody's really dropped the ball, we've done something other than pick up their mat, carry them to Jesus, break open the roof, and lower them down. We've done something other than mend those nets or reset that bone. Sin has a kind of domino effect in our lives, doesn't it? One mistake leads to another and to another and to another. I think we see this most dramatically in the story of King David and Bathsheba. Remember that one? One mistake leads to another, leads to another, leads to another. We don't have time to get into it. Paul calls the church to be the kind of community that steps in and stands in the way of dominoes that are falling in our lives. You, you may have heard that old proverb. We do have this one. <laughs> Sow a thought, reap an act. Sow an act, reap a habit. You sow a habit and reap a character. Sow a character and you reap a destiny. See, this is what happens in our lives, especially when there has been times of foolishness or failure. One domino falls and the rest keep going. And Paul says, no, not in the church. The church is the place where we carry each other. The church is the place where we mend the nets, where we reset the bone. I want to thank you on behalf of the staff for all the cards and the notes from Staff Appreciation Month. Um, I have been here now 15 years, 15 Staff Appreciation Months, and true story, I still have every card and every note ever written. Every one. That's why my office is such a mess. <laughs> I want to thank you on behalf of the staff, because we do have an incredible staff, don't we? We have an incredible staff. Um, I learn so much from every one of them every day, and am honored to be a part of it. In a church our size, it's such a gift to have such an incredible staff, isn't it? So good. When we look around and we think, man, we are being led by some incredible people. But it's so dangerous, isn't it? It's so dangerous to have such a good staff. Because if we're not careful, if we're not careful, we can look to our staff to do some heavy lifting. When God says, we're all called to do some heavy lifting. The great uh, reformer Martin Luther once put it this way. He said, Christians must have strong shoulders and mighty bones. Not just pastors, not just directors, not just those who are on staff of a congregation, but all of us. Like I thought I was, big man on campus, strong shoulders, mighty bones. He says, that's all of our jobs. I just realized, um, in, in thinking about that quote from Martin Luther, our, our official job descriptions on staff require us to be able to lift 15 pounds regularly and 25 pounds occasionally. But if we're to carry each other, that's not nearly enough. <laughs> After the past two years, unable to be together, perhaps there are ways we need to relearn how to mend the nets, how to reset the bone how to do the heavy lifting of carrying one another because the world needs it now more than ever. Amen? The world needs it now more than ever. I'm going to tell you a quick story and I'm going to be very vague intentionally. But just this week, I learned of a husband and wife. Been married a long time. Have always canceled each other out at the ballot box. 
came at things from slightly different angles, watched different television programs. One leaned this side of the aisle, the other one leaned that. For decades, that has been part of their relationship, part of the fun, totally manageable, until now. You don't even need to know all the details because you can imagine it. You can fill in the blanks, right? Um, voting differently has led to them now considering one another enemies. They, they, the aisle has been divided so far that they, they are no longer in the same house. One remains in the home they've shared for decades, and the other now rents an apartment. And you don't need me to tell you that this is happening all around us. Everywhere. And... God is not honored by that. Um, God is not glorified by that. And I'm sure you can imagine they are not happy. They do not feel healthy. They do not feel whole. They feel broken. We can imagine that, can't we? That for decades, they, they were a unit. And they had some differences, but it was manageable. And now, the world is at such odds with one another, just like the Galatians were. They are at such odds with one another. Remember last week's text? Paul says, hey, if you keep biting and devouring one another, you're going to destroy each other. That's where we're at, 2021. And friends, it is in our job description to carry them, to reset that bone, to mend that net gently, carefully, and quickly. And so here's your assignment this week. I want you to offer to carry someone. And you're immediately thinking, I don't know about that. I haven't been to seminary. I don't know what kind of thing they're going to ask me to do. I, I'm, I'm not that strong. No, you are. You have strong shoulders. You have mighty bones. I want to invite you to ask someone else how you can carry them. Because we know the story and we love the story that Jesus looks up and sees the faith of the people who carried that man and they heal who? They heal him because of the faith of the guys on the roof. This week, I, I want to invite you to ask someone else how you can carry them, that God might see your faith and pronounce healing and wholeness to someone else's brokenness. And it doesn't have to be dramatic. There's a member of our church family who uh, asks me a question every time he sees me. Um, he asks me really simply, he says, what can I do for you? And I rarely have an answer, but I'm always surprised. And usually it's just like, well, gosh, there's this thing that's going on with, with my son, and I, can you pray for that? Can I just confess what's happening there, and you just lift that up? And, but very simply, what can I do for you? <laughs> I rarely have a thoughtful answer, but it's so good to hear him ask. And you know what that's like, right? You have friends like that, don't you? Man, we need friends like that. And we don't ask those questions because we are so good and we are so nice and we are such upstanding people with strong shoulders and mighty bones. That's not why we ask that question. We have strong shoulders and mighty bones because of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Because he carries us. Because he carried us, our sin and our shame, when we were broken and bent out of shape. And I don't know about you, but there have been times in my life when I have been broken and bent out of shape. And it has been Jesus who's carried me 
through the strong shoulders and mighty bones of the people around me. They have picked up my mat and they have dropped me down in front of Jesus. It's Jesus who carries our sin and our shame when we're broken and bent out of shape. And he doesn't just carry us across a picturesque beach where there's one set of footprints in the sand. No, Jesus carried us up the hill of Calvary. And God the Father, in a way, in a way, God the Father saw Jesus' faith and said to us, your sins are forgiven. May we be those people who have those strong shoulders and mighty bones. Not because it's something we need to do to earn our place in God's family, but because what does Paul tell us? He says, he says this is the law of Christ. This, this wraps it all up in a neat and tidy bow. That just as Christ carried you, carry one another. Mend the nets, reset the bone. We're going to have to do some heavy lifting. But you've got strong shoulders and you've got mighty bones. God, we give you thanks for this story in Luke, Mark chapter 2. And we don't know whether Paul knew it, but we give you thanks that he picks up that same metaphor in his letter to the Galatians that he calls all of us to be about your work, to do that heavy lifting, to carry one another, to mend the net, to reset the bone. God, it's difficult to do, but we give you thanks that we are not the ones doing it. But may we play our part this week, this month, and always. For the world needs mending it needs resetting. It needs healing. It needs wholeness. It needs Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen.